This is our last uh, message in the series, The Power of We. So turn to John chapter 2, and what I want to share with you about today is called The Power of Miracles. The Power of Miracles. And in John 2, we have the first recorded sign or miracle that Jesus did. And so I think we can learn something. Remember that the power of we, just to remind you, is when I join with God and his purposes on this earth, then his power is released in my life. The power comes from him. The power of the we part comes from him, and it comes from me cooperating with him. I also want to, well, let me show you the scripture before you get to John 2. Uh, Judges 6.13 says, if the Lord is with us, where are all his miracles? If the Lord is with us, where are all his miracles? Now, the Gideon made this statement, and it's, he made it because they were going through a difficult time. As a matter of fact, it was an economic crisis as well. And so he makes this statement, and it's actually a good statement. It's a really good statement because God is a supernatural God. I want to remind you of that. He, everything God does is supernatural. Uh, what, what is... Um, let me say it another way. What is supernatural for us is natural for him. Him just being natural is supernatural. That's who he is. But let me, let me share with you some, some good news, all right? You, you don't forget what I'm about to tell you. Do, don't ever forget this, okay? This is good news. It's great news. You can't have a miracle unless you have a problem. It's not that good of news, is it? <laughs> And by the way, the bigger the problem, the miracle, bigger the miracle. Let me remind you that it was not the parting of the red pond. It was the parting of the Red Sea. They had an army behind them and a sea in front of them. They had a big problem, so they got a big miracle. You know what that tells me? A lot of us right now are ready for a big miracle. Would you agree with that? And what's great is we got a big God. So let's look at the first miracle Jesus did. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, now it's important. I'll explain you why it says the third day. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Probably shouldn't say it, but it sounds like a typical male response, personally. Uh, All right, let's keep going. I wonder how many men have thought that before. <laughs> what does that have to do with, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, I got it. I was thinking I can just hear a woman saying, I'll, I'll tell you, pal, what it has to do. Okay. <laughs> My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to remember that line. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. This is, this is dead religion, dead ritual here. Containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now watch this statement, this is important. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. 
When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. They knew they'd made a, a commitment. They knew they'd fulfilled their commitment, and they knew what God did. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, let me tell you some things about weddings that you might not know. And, and first of all, let me explain to you why Jesus and his disciples were there. Uh, history tells us that they were relatives. That Jesus, this was one of his relatives getting married. Now, we don't know this for sure, but history tells us that it was the disciple of John. That wrote the book of John. And you would think that, that, you know, he would say, you know, at my wedding. But when you read the book of John, you realize he never refers to himself. As a matter of fact, he actually referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> kind of like, you know, his favorite. But anyway, um, so, and John was a second cousin. So it's very possible, which also explains Mary's concern. Because if it was a relative, she's very concerned about, you know, all these things. Uh, but it says on the third day. Now, most theologians believe that's the third day of the reception. These, these weddings normally lasted six days from Sabbath to Sabbath. You'd get married the first day of the week, and then it would go until the next Sabbath. Everyone would go home for the Sabbath. So uh, on the third day, uh, see, uh, in those days, the, the bride and groom did not go away on a honeymoon. They didn't go on a carnival cruise or, you know, anything like that. Uh, they actually stayed in town, which is kind of the pits. But anyway, they, they, they stayed in town, and they had this reception that went on for days, and they were treated like royalty for six days. They were, they were treated like a king and queen. They were paraded around. There were all sorts of festivities. But it was the responsibility of the brides, I mean, pardon me, of the groom's family to provide the refreshments for the reception. Now, as we know, that's, that's changed. That's not the way it is in our culture. That's the way it was in Jewish culture. Now it's the responsibility of the bride's family to provide for the reception, which worked out well in my case because I have two boys and, and one girl. So, <laughs> But in those days, it was the groom's family. And, and they were to provide for a week. Now, here's, here was the problem. If they ran out of food and drink early, refreshments, then... People went home early, and they'd taken off all week, and instead of being there six days, after three days, they, they were going to have to go home. It was a scandal and a shame for that family, and, and, and then for years to come, you, you know how relatives are, you know, they're going to remind you about this every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, <laughs> that your reception is supposed to go six days, only lasted three. So Mary's concerned about this, but here's a question I want us to ask ourselves, why did Mary come to Jesus? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but and, and listen to how she comes. She, she goes to Jesus, and here's what she says. They have no wine. They, they have no wine. As if he's supposed to do something about it. Now, Jesus wasn't in the winery business. Right? I mean, he's a carpenter. And, and so why did she go to Jesus? Why did she even expect him to, to be able to do something. You know, I don't know if in the back of her mind, you remember she had the angelic visit. She knows he's the son of God. She got pregnant without being with anybody. So she knows more than anybody. This, 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 is, this is a miracle of God. So, you know, I'm, I don't know if she's starting to think, you know, 
been 30 years. All you've done is build cabinets, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's get this son of God thing going here, pal. <laughs> so I, I don't know, but, but then I also, I'm using my holy imagination here. Is, is that all right? But I'm just wondering, it says this is the first sign that he did, but I'm wondering if it's the first miraculous thing that happened. I, I, I'm just wondering if things just kind of happened uh, 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 around the house growing up. Well, I mean, why else would Mary go to Jesus? Unless maybe she'd seen a few things along the way, you know? I mean, I mean think about that. I, I'm just wondering if he ever got caught walking on the pond instead of swimming. <laughs> Young man, get, get down in the water. Get down in the water and swim like the rest of the kids. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if the, if the family pet ever got hit by a chariot. And all the kids are crying, you know, and they're in a circle and they're just crying, you know. And I wonder if Jesus, I mean, if Mary gave Jesus the look. And Jesus is saying, I, I, I'm not supposed to do anything yet, Mom. You know, you see what you're doing to your brothers and sisters. You see what you're doing. You know, I'm wondering if Jesus went out and, you know, got him and brought him. Hey, Skippy's okay. Look, he's okay. He, he was just knocked out, you know. I, I wonder if, if one night Jesus is doing his homework, you know, and Mary says to him, Jesus. I need you to go down to the store and get some flour. I'm kind of busy, Mom. I've, I've got to finish this assignment by tomorrow. Well, I've I got to have flour tonight for the meal, so I need you to go on down and get some flour. Well, why don't you look in the cabinet again, Mom? <laughs> All right, that's enough holy imagination. She just, she, here, listen to what she says. They have no wine. You can hear it. She knows who he is. She knows he can do something about it. They have no wine. Okay. Then she does something strange. He says, it's not my time, Mom. Then, now, listen to what she does. L listen to this. She turns to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I personally think, I know the Bible, I personally think that she went like this to Jesus. <laughs> and then Jesus is standing there like, and then I wonder if he went, Dad. <laughs> you know, and of course, God might have said, well, honor your father and mother, so we'll just speed things up a little bit. <laughs> okay, here's what I want you to pick up on. Here's the key to a miracle. Listen to me carefully. This is the key to a miracle. Don't, this will work for the rest of your life. Don't ever forget this. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever, whatever. In other words, no matter how crazy it sounds, whatever he says to you, do it. You want a miracle? Whatever he says to you, do it. How many of you it would be okay with you if God did a miracle in your life right now in some area. Would it be okay? Okay. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
So let me tell you three things about miracles, all right? Here's number one. Miracles are conditional. I, I challenge you on this. Look through the Word. In other words, do you remember where we started with this series? We started with that God has a part and we have a part. Our part's never supernatural. Our part's just natural. And God doesn't do our part, and our part comes first. Moses had to lift up the rod. David had to sling the stone. They had to fill the water pots up with water. What if they hadn't filled the water pot? What if they have said, this, this is crazy. This is crazy. This makes no sense. And not only are they conditional, by the way, but they're measurable. In other words, it says they filled the water pots up to the brim. What if they had just filled them halfway up? They got as much wine back as they put in water. You understand, you determine whether you get a miracle or not and how big it is. Listen to me carefully. This, this is so important. You determine whether you get a miracle because God's a miraculous God. He's just waiting to be included in the situation. When, when, when Jesus said to Mary, Mother, it's not my time yet. It's not my time. Let me tell you what one theologian's commentary is on that verse. Here's what he was saying. Mother, they have not included me in this situation, nor recognized me for who I am. Can I tell you something? Jesus has all the power. He's got all the power. And you think, well, why isn't he doing a miracle? Maybe because you're not giving him a chance. Maybe because when we say, let's make a commitment, you say, well, my faith level is zero. That's my faith level. And I'm telling you, with all of my heart as your pastor, hopefully you love me, hopefully you trust me, I'm telling you that my concern is that every person give God the opportunity to work. Because miracles are conditional on whether we'll do it or not. Just a, a few uh, months ago, you know, I was preaching on tithing. And I preached on tithing, and a lady came to me who's a single parent in our church. And she said, I, I got convicted about tithing, and I got my paycheck. It was $1,030. So I decided I'm going to start tithing, and I'm going to give $103. And as soon as she thought that, the Lord said to her, give 120 And she said, Lord, this is a stretch. This is a stretch. And the Lord said, give 120 And so she wrote a check out for $120. She put it in the offering box right back there. She walked out before she got out of the foyer Someone walked up, handed her a check, and turned around and walked off. Never said a word. Just gave her a check. She opened the check up. It was $120. Now, I, I can't do that. Only God can do that. But here's the point. She determined the amount. She determined the amount. Uh, here's what the Bible says. Whatever measure you use will be the measure God uses. You determine the amount. So first thing I want to tell you, miracles are conditional. Here's the second thing. Miracles are exciting. They're exciting. Uh, the, uh, these were ceremonial water pots. I, I just want to ask you something. Before Jesus got involved, how exciting do you think these pots were? Ceremonial, ritualistic. Have, have, many, have you ever been a part of a church that was dead? And it was ritual. It wasn't very exciting. That's what these ceremonial water parts were like. Listen, once Jesus got involved, they became party central. 
You realize how many people were hanging around these water pots at the end of the evening? I love these water pots. You want to sell one of these water pots? I mean, these things got exciting. Listen, if you're bored with the Christian life, then here's the problem. Whatever he says, you're not doing. Because I'm telling you, my life is far from boring. My life is exciting. And I'll tell you why it's exciting. Because he keeps scaring me. <laughs> he keeps telling me to do things that are beyond myself. He, he told me one time to walk up to a guy in a restaurant who was a bodybuilder. Literally a bodybuilder, Mr. Universe type stuff, and, and big, great big old guy. And I'm sitting across the restaurant, and I get this word from God for him. And I walk up to this guy, and I said, um, I know this sounds strange, but I have a word from God for you. <laughs> now, you know, you got to know in a situation like this, God wants you to do this. And he said, give it to me. And I said, when you were young, your grandmother taught you about God. And she told you the story of Samson. And you made a commitment to God that if he'd make you as strong as Samson, you would live for him. And God told me to tell you, you're not keeping up your end of the deal. And this great big bodybuilder started crying. And I thought, thank you, God. <laughs> And I sat down and led his wife and him to the Lord. And he told me about how when he was young, he got hit in the head with a rock. Some kids threw rocks at him. And his grandmother raised him because his mother and dad left him. And his grandmother told him one day the story of Samson. And she said, if you'll commit your life to God, he'll make you as strong as Samson. Now, let me, listen, that's exciting. And here, here's what makes this that exciting. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do. All right, listen to me. Uh, when we're talking about this commitment, if you haven't made your commitment yet, listen, whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to have a testimony. I want you to have a testimony. It's, we just sang the song that says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You understand the blood of the lamb's his part, the word of your testimony is your part. You're not going to have a testimony if you don't do what he says. Uh, a friend of mine was a member of another church, and we were in a three-year building program. And uh, he, he prayed and said, Lord, what do you want me to give for the, over the next three years? And, and the Holy Spirit said to him, the Lord said to him, uh, $50,000. And he said to him, you don't have to come up with a number right now. If you want to think about this for a while, that's okay. Just don't say the first number comes off the top of your head, God. Just if you want to think about it, you know, that's, and the Lord said, $50,000. So he was standing in his backyard, and the, it was in, in Irving, and the, uh, he is close to DFW Airport, and this airplane was going over, and he was looking up, watching this airplane, and the Lord said to him, what are you doing? He said, do you think I'm going to drop it out of the sky? He said, you should be in at your computer, looking at your budget, figuring out how you can do this. So he went in, and he got his budget out. And he said, first thing he came to him was uh, his car. And he said, well, Lord, I was planning on, you know, upgrading my car. You know, in the next three years, I guess I could drive the same car. <laughs> he said, I'll never get the Lord said to him, that'd be okay with me. 
And so he started pulling things out of his budget to get to the number to be able to give this. Listen, there, we've got to do our part. And here was his testimony at the end of that three years. At the end of that three years, he had put everything back into his budget that he took out. God blessed him so much, he didn't go without at all. But here's the amazing part of the testimony. When he finished the three years, there was a knock on his door, and a guy said to him, I'm from DFW Airport, and we've done a flight pattern study, and your house is in the flight pattern, and so we're going to give you a check for that, for your house being in the flight pattern. And they gave him a check for $50,000, the exact amount. And he said later that evening, he was out in his backyard again, and he heard a plane came over, come over, and he looked up, and the Lord said to him, I can drop it out of the sky if I want to. <laughs> but he did his part, and God did his part. I'm telling you, as your pastor, I'm, I want you to do your part, whatever it is. I don't want you to give because of compulsion. I don't want you to do that. Here's, when I, here's all I'm saying to you. Please hear my words. This is all I'm saying. Whatever he says to you. See, the to you is personal. It'll be different for different people. Whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. It's the key to a miracle. Now, here's the third thing I want to tell you about miracles. Miracles are personal. They're personal. When you get healed, that's personal. When God provides for you, that's personal. When you get a raise, that's personal. Think about the first miracle that he did that we have recorded here. All he did was provide the refreshments for a family's wedding. That's personal. And I'll tell you something else, too. This was just their heart's desire. Did you know that God cares about your desires? Did you, did you know that? Do you know that it's not wrong to want to bless your children? That's not wrong. It's not wrong to want to live in a nicer neighborhood, get your kids in a nicer school. It's not wrong to want to send your kids to college. See, what the devil convinces us of, you know, your desires are wrong. They're selfish. And, and so you need to keep some money over here for your desires because God may not want to take care of your desires. So you, you, God will do this. You need to provide for your own desires. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I don't know if you believe this or not, but I'm going to tell you something. God cares more about your desires than you do. And let me, let me say it another way. God cares more about your family than you do. I can prove that. He gave the most precious thing that he had for your family. He cares. And I'll tell you something else. God will bless you more than you'll bless yourself if you'll give him the opportunity. And those of you here who have walked this life, you would agree with me. God has far more blessed me than I could have ever blessed myself. You'd agree with that. God will bless you more than you would bless yourself if you'll give him the opportunity. And, and let me, let me uh, uh, tell you two reasons why. All right? And I'll give you the second reason first. Then, then the first, because the first one to me is most important. Here's the second reason that God will bless you more than you'll bless yourself. Uh, secondly, he has more ability to bless you than you do. <laughs> He's got a bigger bank account than you got. That's the second reason he'll bless you more. He has more ability. Here's the first reason. He loves you more. God loves you more than you love you. God loves you. Why, why, would, why does God do miracles? Hey, just think about that. Why does God do miracles? Because he loves us. 
<laughs> There's no other reason. Because he loves us. The, look at this verse. Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, let me say it another way. What's the desire of God's heart? I've told you this before, but what's the desire of God's heart? You. Okay, listen to me carefully. When God gets the desire of his heart, you get the desire of your heart. In other words, when God gets you, when God gets you, then he can bless you and provide for you. We talked about not including, not recognizing Jesus for who he is and not including him in the situation. Let me say it another way. God is seated at the desire, at the table of the desires of your heart. Please hear this. This is a phenomenal statement I'm about to make. Jesus is seated at the table of the desires of your heart. And he knows that you don't have enough. But he's waiting for you to include him in the situation and recognize him for who he is. That's what he's waiting for. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Look at that. You get the other things if you seek God. <laughs> seek God first and all these other things. You understand, though, that if you don't seek God first, even if you get the other things, there'll be a curse to you, not a blessing. Uh, Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and here's a big and. He adds no sorrow with it. I know a lot of people that are rich and they got a lot of sorrow. I know people who've gotten all the other things, but they lost their family to get it. They lost their marriage to get it. They lost their kids to get it. They lost their health to get it. They lost their morals to get it. They lost their ethics to get it. The great thing is, when we seek God first, then we not only get God and His righteousness, we get all the other things. God provides for us. For our family. I want you to know God loves you. When we uh, made the commitment to build this building, all through scripture, people would give offerings and God would say, ask me for something. Go ahead, ask me for something. It's not wrong to ask God for things. It's not wrong. And there are a lot of things we need to ask God for. Things to do with our children, things to do with our health, things to do with our job. Asking you shall receive. You don't have because you don't ask. So when we made the commitment to build this building that we're in, the Lord said to me, ask me for something. And I remember I said to him, God, I want you to begin to really woo my children, woo their hearts so that they will fall passionately in love with you. I got good kids, but they're getting to that adulthood stage where they're going to have to make a commitment for a for you personally, that they're going to follow you and they're going to be in love with you. And God, I want you to just begin doing a work in their hearts where they'll fall passionately in love with you. And so Debbie and I, we talked about that. We started praying about that. We started watching God just do a work in our kids. I mean, it was powerful. And our, our kids were good kids, didn't give us trouble growing up, but we started seeing, I mean, the, them, you know, falling asleep at night reading their Bible, talking to us about God things, talking to us about their quiet time, and about them tithing on their income and things. It was just powerful. Now, we, we have three, three children. The, the first, our oldest son, Josh, um, is, is, has always been very sensitive to the Lord's voice. And, and very obedient. 
and he's just wonderful, wonderful son. All of our kids are great. But with Josh, when he was young, if I said to him no too loudly, you know, like if he was about to touch something, I said to him, no, like that. He, he, you know, and it just, because he was sensitive. Anyone understand what I'm talking about? So I would have to say to him, no, no, son. No, no. No, 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 no. We don't touch that. No, no. And he'd look at me for a minute, and then he'd just walk away, you know. Um, and then we had some other kids. <laughs> Debbie and I have often joked, if we had only had Josh, we would be traveling the country right now doing parenting seminars. <laughs> we would tell everybody how easy kids are. But as you can see, we're not telling anybody that. Then we had James, and James uh, was our strong-willed child. Let me just put it in the positive manner. Um, does anyone here know what I'm talking about when I say a strong-willed child? James would go to touch something, and I would say to him, no, like that, and he'd go like this. And so I'd say to him, no, 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 no. And he just sat there. Some of you are laughing, but some of you are crying because you, you understand. And so I'd take his hand. He'd be little. I'd take his hand and I'd say to him, no, like that. He'd go. So I'd take his hand, and I would pop it good. No. I said no. And he'd do it like this. You'd just be spanking his hand. He'd just. And then he'd do it like this. As soon as you let go. So we had some challenges. We started seeing him change. That year that we prayed, and it was phenomenal. Huge changes in his life. He started being nice to his sister. That's a miracle. <laughs> That's a miracle of God. And so one evening, it, it was just Debbie and I and he talking, and, 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 and I just said to him, now he's a man of few words. You have to understand that. He doesn't, say, he doesn't tell you anything unless you ask. That's just the way he is. And so uh, I, I just said to him, I said, hey, we've uh, been noticing a lot of uh, changes in your life and your relationship with God. And uh, have you really been changing in this, God doing something in your heart? He said, yeah. I said, well, um, why do you think uh, all these changes have happened? He said, well, it's probably because I got saved. Oh, were you planning on telling anyone about that? <laughs> He said, yeah, I was going to tell you all, and I, I'm, I'm going to get baptized too. And so I said, well, when did you get saved? And he said, now listen to this. He says, about three months ago when you shared your testimony. Talking about me. He got saved with me sharing my testimony. 
And so I said to him, well, James, you walked down the aisle when you were young and prayed the prayer, and you know, you've, you've done all that, but how, do you, how did you know you needed to be saved? And of course, I knew he needed to be saved, but <clears throat> let's keep, that's beside the point. <laughs> I said, how did you know you needed to be saved? Listen to his answer, because he's a man of few words. Listen to what he said. He said, God showed me that I had never submitted my will to the Lordship of Christ. And I submitted my will to him. Now, I want to ask you something. Was that worth what I gave to this building? <laughs> Just that one miracle. Yeah, it was worth it. I want every person in our church no matter what your income is no matter how small your commitment you say well it's just too small to matter it's what matters is your heart i want you to make a commitment i want you to step out in faith i want you to fulfill whatever god is saying to you i want you to get involved in the miracle that god's going to do for you please please I want you to remember this verse, John 2, 5. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.